Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept, kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that may joy that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Amen. Uh, just a reminder for for our, our gathering, go ahead and put your masks on. Uh, if you don't have them on, that's per Rhode Island regulations. We're going to try to keep everyone safe. Um, I have to choose between my, my mask or my glasses. And so I'm sitting extra far away from all of you. Because if I have my glasses on, I can't read my notes. I mean, my, my mask on, I can't read my notes. And vice versa. So um, just don't breathe what I'm breathing. Um, so we have been going through uh, the last week, this week, the next two weeks. We've been going through our, uh, our vision series as a church. Right? These are our core three commitments. We used to talk about them all the time. And we've talked about them a lot less lately. And I'm, we're going to change that. We're going to come back to talking about our three core commitments uh, again, three core values. Um, I actually got to teach yesterday at a, a church down in South County, and I shared about our three core commitments and encouraged uh, the church to, to live intentionally in those three things. I don't think that these three things are things that are exclusively for us as a church. I think these are things that are uh, written in Scripture for all followers of Jesus. Right? And so um, uh, we're going to have a rhythm of returning to uh, a, a vision series every single October uh, in order to rem- remind one another, this is what we're here for. This is what we're about, right? This, this meeting space we're in, the coffee that we just drank, the songs we just sang, they're all important parts of a Christian faith, but that's not the point. 
right? The point of what we're here for, the point of all that we're about is to live out the way of Jesus, family, and mission. Um, so yet, uh, last week we discussed uh, Jesus, right? We discussed our core commitment of Jesus. Um, we are spending uh, this particular version series looking at just the, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 15 uh, because it has so much to say about Jesus' family mission. Uh, and the big point that I wanted you guys to walk away from uh, last week uh, is that uh, if we do not abide in Jesus, we can do nothing, right? If we're trying really, really hard to have a great community and great family among one another and we're trying really, really hard to be missional and serve our city, uh, but we are not abiding in Jesus, we're wasting our time, right? Jesus himself says that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you do not abide in me, you can do nothing, Right? So everything that we do flows out of our primary commitment, devotion, and love for Jesus. Uh, for those of you that were here last week, I don't even know, that's Kevin and Zeke, I think. Um, do you guys rem- remember the Greek word for abide? I had you guys repeat it. Starts with an M and ends with an N-O. Meno. Do you remember, uh, maybe, maybe you got to listen to the podcast. I hope you got to listen to the podcast uh, for last week because it was a really important uh, starting point for even what we're talking about today. But do you remember what stood out to you about this idea of abiding in Jesus? What jumped out at you about this principle of abiding in Jesus? For me, uh, it was this mindset that abiding is more than just uh, staying connected. It is about thriving in a diversity, right? This idea of abiding that we see in the Gospel of John, uh, the word literally describes uh, thriving even though everything is falling apart, which kind of feels like 2020, right? Everything is falling apart, uh, and yet, when we abide in Jesus, when we meno, uh, we get to thrive through that. We get to bear fruit and live through that. Um, so today, we're going to talk about our second core value of family. Uh, the word family was intentionally chosen. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. But uh, when I say the word family, it brings to mind different things for different people. Right? It really is dependent on your experience with your family. Uh, let me ask this question to all of you guys, and this is not rhetorical. I invite you to participate. Uh, what comes to your mind when I say the word family? Home. Church. The church, okay. What else? Home. 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 <laughs> so, I'm sorry, the masks. Uh, Home, yeah, and so and like, and like just the comfort of home, feeling like you belong. Just messy. The mess of life. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Our home is particularly messy today. <laughs> uh, Carrie and Greg moved in with us uh, for a little bit, and I feel really bad that our house is <laughs> looks like a garbage pit right now. Brit- Brittany and I were driving over here this morning, singing "I Fell Into the Pit." Um, from Parks and Rec because our house looks like a pit. <laughs> what comes to your mind when I say the word family? 
Safety. Okay. Yeah, for some people, definitely safety. For other people, not safety. Right? Home is where uh, I got yelled at. Home is where I got punished. Home is where uh, I always get in trouble. And so it, it's, it's a lack of safety for, for some people. How has your personal family experience influenced your understanding of the spiritual family? That's a deeper question. Spiritual families can get messy? And so, so the messiness of your own family in life, it, it almost prepared you for the fact that spiritual family is going to be messy as well. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? How has your personal family experience influenced your understanding of spiritual family? Um, I, I have two parents, like many of us in the room. Uh, I have two siblings. Most of you know my two siblings. My older brother is two years older than me. Uh, my younger sister is nine years younger than me. Uh, and, you know, we had a classic sibling relationship growing up. Me and my brother fought all the time. Uh, my sister annoyed me all the time. Uh, it was just a classic, you know, family environment. Uh, it's a much, much better relationship now than it was even 10 years ago. Um, uh, but my experience of family definitely influenced my understanding of the spiritual family and, and even just the fact that we're going to fight together. We're going to annoy one another. We're going to, um, we're going to work through issues together. We're going to uh, feel like we betrayed one another at times, but we're going to also then at the end of the day still be family. Uh, you know, if me and my brother get into a fight, I'm not going to go pick another family. Uh, I'm going to work it out with my brother. Uh, that's, that's, that's how it has influenced me. Um, when we talk about this idea of the family of God, we typically run into two issues. Right? Number one, uh, our experiences, our past experiences, they taint how we understand spiritual family. Right? Our past experiences, they taint our understanding of the, of the family of God. Uh, number two, our expectations are often unhealthy of one another. Right? So our past experiences and our future expectations, they affect uh, the way that we view one another. Um, we've, been, uh, we've been hurt by our, our, our personal families and we project this on our spiritual families. We've been let down by previous spiritual families. If you've been a part of another church, you know no church is perfect. There's always going to be messed up people. We've been let down by previous spiritual families we've been a part of and we kind of assume that's going to happen again. Um, and when it comes to our expectations, some of us fall onto the spectrum of uh, being a little bit too idealistic and too unrealistic with our expe expectations for a spiritual family. Uh, and some of us are on the opposite end of the spectrum where we are a little bit too shallow in our expectations of spiritual family. Right? We expect so little from one another that we actually get what we expect. Right? Um, so neither one of those are healthy. Both of those are... Um, we, we, want, we want to find the balance of those two. So we start at a disadvantage by having such different experiences and expectations. Uh, and so I love turning to the scriptures as our, our, as our centering point, right? Each of us have had different families, different uh, uh, upbringings, different experiences, different parents, different siblings, uh, different fights. Some of us fight worse than others. And yet we get to come to the scriptures and we get to see what the family of God is intended to look like. 
So we're gonna jump into uh, the scriptures in a second, but I wanna pray for us and I wanna ask that the Holy Spirit would, would, um, would challenge our hearts. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for uh, your, your word. Thank you that it is, it is uh, certain and that it is uh, our foundation and a rock for us, Father. Thank you that it's unchanging. Uh, even though all of our experiences and our expectations are constantly changing, your word never does. Uh, and in doing so, it acts as an anchoring point for us. Uh, a rock for us to cling to when we are uh, when we're in the middle of a storm. So we ask right now, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, would open our hearts. Uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would um, would convict us uh, of, of ways that we maybe uh, need to grow, need to become more like you. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, before we jump into John fifteen, Genesis chapter one, God creates everything. And then the pinnacle of his creation is a family, right? It's a family, it's Adam and Eve, right? And we, he, invites, he invites this family into perfect relationship with him and into perfect relationship with one another. They have everything they need to thrive, to live, to bear fruit, uh, and to, uh, to worship and glorify Jesus, um, and through the sin of Adam and Eve, through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, everything becomes broken, everything becomes conflicted. Uh, trust is broken, love is broken, joy is broken, everything is broken. Uh, and even though this rebellion that we are all a part of was in full force, uh, in Genesis 12, God returns and he again picks one family that he's going to call apart going to set apart, he's going to pull away from uh, the rest of the culture, and he's going to say, this family is the model that I'm going to use. I'm going to point people to this family. Uh, was invited into a new trust relationship with him, with God. Right? Trust was broken in the Garden of Eden, uh, and, G- and God, when he comes to Abraham, uh, he invites him into a new trust relationship. Have you ever thought about how all of the things that God promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 are things that are verifiable and provable. None of it is like when you die, you will get a Ferrari in heaven, right? All of it is provable in our lifetime. So if God fulfills those things, then he is trustworthy. If he doesn't fulfill those things, then he's not. So all of the things that God promises to Abraham were intended to reestablish trust in their family relationship. And so he calls Abram out of uh, his family, out of his culture. He calls him to be a, a separate people. Uh, he, he challenges him to be a city on a hill, right? Uh, a, a, a culture and a family that other families can look to and say, that is what it looks like to have a relationship with God. That is what it looks like to uh, be uh, in right standing with God. Uh, and they were meant to be a welcoming people. Right? The, the reason why God picks Abram and his family isn't because Abram and his family are so particularly special. Right? The reason why he calls Abram and his family is so that through them, they could be a welcoming committee to the rest of the world. Right? They didn't do that very well. Right? Instead, they became exclusive and they became closed in and you had to uh, you know, follow their, uh, their list of rules in order to join into their family. That's not what it was supposed to be. And so we see all throughout this Old, the Old Testament this cycle of uh, sin, rebellion, failure, and then God uh, comes down and brings judgment to them. And then there's a, a moment of repentance where they realize that they are, uh, that they are wrong and that they need to return to the Lord. And then there is a restoration that happens. And then uh, the next generation repeats the cycle. 
right? It's, it's this cycle that we see on and on, and probably a cycle that we see in our own lives as well, if we, if we were honest with one another, right? Um, so that, the, God creates a family, God chooses a family, uh, and then Jesus in the New Testament is born into a family, right? He's born into a family, and he then uh, uh, continues to redefine this idea of family for us in the scriptures, uh, there's a really good book by a guy named Joseph Hellerman uh, called When the Church Was a Family. We've talked about it before, uh, but for those of you that are new, I'm, I want to kind of summarize some parts of it. Uh, in the book, Joseph Hellerman is talking about how um, it's not an accident that the early church and Jesus would refer to one another as brothers and sisters. It's not an accident that the church uh, started to view one another as a family. Uh, in our day and age today, my most intimate, most important, most critical relationship is going to be who? Who do you think? Who's your most intimate, most critical relationship? Your spouse or significant other. Yeah, spouse or significant other. Right? And, and this is a horrible scenario. This would never happen, I hope. But if I had to stab either my sister in the back or my wife in the back... Right? I love you, Angela, if you're watching this, but see ya. All right? Like, my, my wife wins every time. Right? Joseph Hellerman in his book is making this argument that in Jesus' day, it, that was actually flipped. Your most critical, most intimate, most personal, most important relationship in your life was your blood family your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters. Okay? And so when you got married in, in Jesus' day, and this is not just Jewish culture, this is Roman culture, this is Greek culture, this was the entire world, this was the functioning of the entire world. When you got married in Jesus' day, let's say you felt a little disconnected and you wanted to have some, your, your love tank filled up and you wanted to find some intimacy, you wouldn't go to your husband and say, hey, let's get away for the weekend. You'd actually say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go see my, my family for two weeks, I'll see you later. Right? They, you would leave to go to your blood family to, to find that connection and intimacy. They were the most important relationship in your life. And so we, we've been studying through Luke. There's this passage in Luke chapter 8 that I told you we were going to come back to. Here, here we are. Jesus is teaching. His ministry has grown. The room is full. Uh, and he's saying some things that are strange. And his mother and his brothers are a little bit concerned for him. And so they come to, to have a conversation with him. And this happens. Uh, then his, Luke chapter 8 verse 19 then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Right? Can you imagine the gasp in the room when he says this? Right? It's like me sitting in like a, uh, hanging out with my friends and Brittany walks in and says, hey, Tim, we really need to talk about something. I'm like, yeah, 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 you can wait. Right, you guys would be like, are they, is, their, is their relationship okay? Right, are they struggling in their marriage? Like, what's going on here? He's, he's avoiding his wife. He's ignoring his wife. Uh, that's the equivalent of what Jesus is doing here. Right, he is saying, he's redefining this idea of family for us. Family is no longer, your most important, most critical, most uh, intimate relationship is no longer your blood relatives. It is now the people who are of the family of God. Those that... Hear the word of God and do it. Right? This is why in the early church it became common practice to refer to one another as brothers and sisters. Right? Some churches still do this today. Usually in other countries, this is really prevalent. Right? Uh, literally pastors or, or just everyone will, will walk around and say, hey, this is Brother Tim, this is Brother Kevin, this is you know, uh, uh, Sister Breton. Like, that's just how you call one another. 
It was common practice uh, in, in the early church. Jesus was redefining our most intimate and personal relationship. Now let's jump into John 15, and we're going to land the plane. John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, right, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I've commanded you that you love one another, right? And this, this, this sermon that Jesus is giving is it actually, it's, an, it's a continuation of, a, of a, a passage in, in John chapter 13 where Jesus is literally, he, he calls it the new commandment, right? They have the big 10, the Big Ten Commandments, and Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new one. Right? This is a really important one. Uh, Andy Stanley would even go on to say that it, like, this is the crux of the New Testament, was this one new command, and everything else in the New Testament is just commentary on this one verse. Right? A new command I give you that you love one another. Right? There is an interesting... Um, an interesting thing happens when we talk about love and obedience, right? We have to understand biblical love and biblical obedience. Uh, what's your understanding of obedience? What comes to your mind when someone says obey? Love it, hate it. And I love it when someone looks at me and says obey or I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> right? no, nobody, our, our understanding of obedience, of the word obedience typically uh, stems out of the way that you were raised, right? If, you, if your parents ever said something like, uh, I am your mom and you will obey me because I am your mom, right? Has anyone, probably no one has ever heard that, right? Uh, yeah, uh, or uh, where, uh, you will obey me or you will be punished. You're gonna be grounded, right? Those are the ways that we uh, enforce obedience in our children, right? Uh, this this word obedience. In our world today, there are one of three ways that you and I could, could enforce obedience. Right? Um, and there's actually different cultures that, that are like surrounded and, and influenced by these three ways. Right? If you look at, at mostly Western societies, so the US, Western Europe, uh, the, 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 the typical model for obedience is this idea of guilt, right? Uh, if you do something wrong you are, uh, you, or you break the law, you are guilty, okay? And so you have to seek justice or forgiveness to, to rectify your wrong, right? So you are guilty if you disobey and you have to make it right. Uh, and so the question that uh, a guilt culture will ask is, uh, uh, is my behavior moral or immoral? If I do this, will I be guilty, Okay, uh, in a lot of uh, 
Eastern cultures, so Asia, uh, Middle East, uh, you have these collectivistic cultures, and so they enforce obedience through shame, right? Honor-shame cultures, right? You've seen um, movies about, like, the samurai and the honor-shame cultures. Um, These people are shamed for not fulfilling hoop expectations, so shame on you for, for doing this or shame on you for doing that or not living this way or, or not sharing. Shame on you. Right? you. You probably have heard that in, in, in your own upbringing as well. We, we, we intermix these. Uh, but pr- predominantly in Eastern cultures, we would ask the question, uh, would I be ashamed or would I bring dishonor on myself and my family if I did X, Y, and Z? Right? So we enforce obedience through shame. Uh, and in some cultures, um, they, imbri- they enforce obedience through fear. So guilt, shame, and fear. Those are our three tactics that the world gives us to enforce obedience. Right? In a fear culture, man, you're either going to do what, I'm, what I say or we're going to have a, a, a talk out back. Okay. So the question you ask is, will someone hurt me if I do X, Y, and Z? Right? Do I have something to fear? Uh, these are the only three options we have. Guilt, shame, and fear. What Jesus is telling us here, though, is that there is a fourth option. Right? The fourth option is love. Right? And it's more powerful and more effective than the other three. Right? In the Greek, there are actually four different words for love that uh, we see in the Bible. Uh, in English, it's just the word love. So when you read the word love in the Bible, oftentimes we lose some meaning because we don't know exactly what word Jesus is using or what word the author is using. Uh, you have a word called storge, which, me- which is like a, a, it's just a familial love. So uh, parents and children, you have a storge love for one another, right? Uh, there is a, a word called eros, which is like a romantic or sexual love. Uh, it's spouses, uh, you have a, a word for love called phileo, which is a brotherly love. Uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo. Uh, and then there is a fourth word called agape. It is this divine love. It is a self-sacrificing love. It is an enemy-loving love. Right? Divine love, agape love, is something that we only get from God. Right? And the only way that we can give agape love to one another is if we have been uh, changed by God to live that way. Okay? Agape love. So Jesus is telling us that there is a connection between agape love and biblical obedience. There's a connection between agape love and biblical obedience. And he invites us uh, to view our obedience not at, out of fear, guilt, and shame, uh, but to obey because we love him and because we love one another. Right? All, of the, all of the love in this passage, uh, all of the obedience in this passage is rooted in love. Right? Jesus loves the Father and so he obeys him. We love Jesus and so we live the way he calls us to live. Uh, and then we love one another. And what he tells us is going to happen when we choose to love one another is that we will experience the joy that comes only from agape love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
love and obedience. Man, when we talk about being the family of God unto one another, the one thing Jesus calls us to do is to love one another. Right? It's not to be perfect. It's not to never fight. Sometimes we have these unhealthy expectations that we're never going to have disagreements. Right? And so we, we, we'll leave one church because they, they're, they're bickering and they're fighting. Or we, we go to another church and someone says something mean to me. And so I go to another church uh, and we, we bounce around back and forth because we don't understand what it means to be the family of God to one another. To love one another uh, with a agape kind of love. Right? How do I love somebody when they don't return that love? It's agape love. It's self-sacrificing love. It is others first kind of love. So when we say that we love one another as the family of God, uh, what we mean is that we genuinely seek, uh, we seek to genuinely love one another like this, like, like Jesus loved us. All right, our past experiences can't be the standard that we define our spiritual families by. Our unhealthy expectations can't be the standard that we hold each other to. This right here is what we are held to. Love one another out of obedience because Jesus loves us and because we love him. Even when I don't love someone in my group, I choose to love them and I pursue them because Jesus loved me when I, I didn't love him and he pursued me, right? And so I do the same for the people in my faith family. Um, we are, this, I planned this perfectly, guys. Uh, uh, we are going to be launching our new gospel communities this week. Right? I, I, I stalled and I stalled and I stalled and I stalled uh, so that we could launch them today. I actually didn't plan any of that. That was an accident. But it works out brilliantly. Um, we're launching our, our new gospel communities this week. Over the summer, we've been just trying to uh, share meals together and hang out and get to know one another. Uh, we've had some new folks in our, in our community, so we've been trying to uh, uh, just, just build some relationships and share some meals. And uh, starting this week, uh, there are going to be three new groups. There's going to be a, uh, a Lincoln group. Uh, at the Crellins home, there's going to be a West Warwick group at the Williams home, and there's going to be a Providence group at the Adams home. Um, and some of them are going to be a little bit bigger, some of them are going to be a little smaller, but that's that's that is what it is. Um, and I actually I love it. I think I think it's going to be great. Um, and so I want to talk you through a little bit of, of my vision for this, and it's actually in your in your in your Sunday guide for today. The points that I'm about to share, so you have them, you can uh, take them with you, um, and um, and review them. If you if you haven't been told which group you're you're in, you can come see me. Or if you want to be a part of a group, you can come see me, um, and we'll go from there. So in each group, right, we take part in smaller communities of believers called gospel communities. Right, a Sunday gathering. There's a reason why I call it the gathering and not a service. It is because it is the gathering of the gospel communities. Right. Uh, the vision for gospel community from the beginning was to be a church that lives out the way of Jesus' family mission out on the streets, not just right here in this room. Right? Out in our homes, in our jobs, as we're sharing meals together, as we're going through life together, we're living out this vision of Jesus' family mission um, in our gospel community. So in these gospel communities, uh, we commit to a few things. 
We commit to being present in one another's lives the way that Acts chapter 2 describes it. Right? We, if, you, if you need it, we'll, we'll read it at the end. Um, we commit to being vulnerable and authentic with one another so we can genuinely know and be known. Right? If I show up to my gospel community or if I'm hanging out with my gospel community and I'm, and I'm just keeping surface level because I don't want to open up, I don't want people to know my, my dirty laundry, okay? they're not going to be able to uh, truly know me. They're not going to be able to truly speak into my life. They're not going to be able to uh, challenge me and, and, and encourage me. And so I commit to being vulnerable Right? Not just with my strengths, but also with my weaknesses. Right? There's, no, um, there's no Michael Scott weaknesses here. Right? My greatest weaknesses are that I care too, too much. I work too hard. Right? We, we want to we we know and be known and be authentic with one another. Uh, we commit to seek and pursue Jesus together and challenge one another to do so genuinely. Right? Not as a checklist not as a, oh, they're going to ask me at, at my gospel community if I've read my Bible this week. That's not why we pursue Jesus. We pursue Jesus because we love him, right? We want to be faithfully devoted to him. We want to know him, know what he says, know what he's about, know he, what he wants in our lives. And so we, we commit to pursue Jesus together, right? So uh, when we're sitting around a bonfire, we talk about what we've been reading and what Jesus has been challenging us with, right? And the ways that he's been convicting us and in doing so, we inspire and challenge one another to, uh, uh, if I'm having a bad week where I'm not spending time with Jesus and I'm not walking with the Lord the way that I should be, uh, hearing someone else share what God is teaching them encourages me to go and do the same. Right? This is not a guilt moment. This is an inspiration moment. Right? We commit uh, to seek to treat one another as the family of God. Right? To love one another the way Jesus has called us to love one another. We commit to seek, uh, to call one another to obedience to Jesus. Right? It's not enough for us to just be people who, um, we, we need to be people of grace upon grace upon grace. When someone says, hey, I'm, I'm struggling here, or I'm messing this up this way, that, that we pour grace upon grace upon grace on that. But we also need to be the kind of people that when someone's not doing that, we say, hey, well, what's going on? Right? Why are you uh, isolating? Why are you pulling away? What, what is going on in your spiritual life? What is going on in your personal life? So we need to be a little bit invasive into one another's personal lives. We need to be comfortable. And if there's vulnerability and authenticity, it's easier to do that. Because I know that if I do that to Zeke, he's going to do it to me. Right? He's going to call me to holiness, call me to obedience to Jesus, just like I call him to that. All right? We commit to seek, to challenge, and encourage one another to join Jesus' mission. Right? Not just be a family that, uh, that hangs out and, and spends time in scripture and spends time doing fun things, but be the kind of people that join in Jesus' mission of transformation and restoration in this world. Right? So there are three groups, like I already said, Lincoln Group, Providence Group, Work Group. Um, and each group is free to determine a few things for themselves. I'm not going to micromanage these. Right? You're free to determine for yourselves uh, when you will gather throughout the week and how often. Right? If, if you want to have a traditional like Wednesday night group night where uh, we get together, we share a meal, we spend some time in the scriptures and in prayer, yes, do it. If you want your group to be more, uh, more informal where maybe you have like a breakfast on a Tuesday, you come together, you pray together and go to work and then uh, you know, a, a dinner on a, on a Friday where you play some games and you just challenge it, whatever. Uh, you choose how often you will gather and when. 
Uh, you will choose what you're going to do in your gatherings. Right? Do you want to share a meal? I love it. Do it. Early church shared a lot of meals. I love sharing meals. I love having people around my table. Uh, do you want to spend some time hanging out and just catching up on life? Do it. Do you want to spend time in discussion and in prayer? Do it. Right? And then uh, within those discussions, you have a couple of options. You can choose what you want to do. If you want to have a sermon discussion where uh, whatever we're talking about on Sunday, you return back to it on like a Wednesday night and, uh, and just discuss it a little bit deeper, read the passage a little bit more, that can be really helpful in making sure that you're internalizing what we're talking about. You can do a Bible study if you want. I'll even help buy some curriculum for you guys if you want. Right? Pick a book of the Bible. Pick Jonah. Pick First uh, John, whatever, and, and read through it together and have us, one person in the group uh, each week prepare a little five minutes explanation of the passage, right? I love it, do that. If you wanna do a book study where maybe you pick Joseph Hellerman's book on uh, when the church was a family and you just read a chapter each week, you come together and you discuss it, right? Those are some awesome ways to encourage growth and depth in your groups, right? But most, most, most importantly, you're gonna have the freedom to, to, to decide how do I specific, how do we as a gospel community specifically want to live out and pursue Jesus' family mission this year? Right, how are we gonna grow closer to Jesus this year? Right, how are we gonna grow closer to one another this year? How are we gonna grow uh, uh, closer to the people outside of our, our, our community and, and welcome them into this, uh, this body, welcome them to, to Jesus, be that family that God intended Abraham to be? Right, how do we do that well this year? And maybe that means that uh, you serve once a month somewhere. Maybe that means you adopt a, a food pantry and just go show up and volunteer one, uh, once a week or once a month. Um, those are great ways to, to just live that out together. So sometime this week, uh, I want you guys to connect with your groups. It can be a FaceTime call. It could be a in-person meal. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Whatever, whatever works for you guys. I want you to connect with your, with your group and I want you to answer some of these questions that I put in there. Right? How are we going to live these things out this week? And I'm gonna close by reading this passage and then we're done. Acts chapter two, verse 42. It paints this beautiful picture for us. I don't ever wanna over glorify this, 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 uh, this, this early church. They had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of issues. But uh, they also had this beautiful devotion to Jesus' family mission that we see in this passage. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Uh, And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their properties and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes uh, for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, right? Jesus said, if you love me and if you obey my commandment and if you love one another, you will experience great joy. That is what they were experiencing. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So their evangelistic strategy was to be the family of God. On display. For the world to see. And the Lord added to their fellowship daily. Those who were being saved. So 
Let's, let's, let's read our statement together. All right, I have it in there. Uh, this is in your guide. At the very, very bottom, it should be in big, bold letters, and I don't have it in front of me, but I have it memorized, so I don't know why I'm looking. Um, let's, let's say this together. Uh, we are the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, called to live on mission with one another. Right, that is what we are trying to do. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are going to fail at doing this because we are flawed human beings and there's no way that we are ever going to achieve a perfect community and a perfect relationship with one another and a perfect pursuit of you while we are on this earth. But we do it anyway. We pursue you anyway because you are worth it. We pursue one another because it is worth it. And we pursue the people outside of our community because it is worth it. And we trust that while we continue to fail and fail and fail, that your Holy Spirit is gonna do something that we did not anticipate and did not expect. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would transform our lives as we pursue Jesus' family mission together. We love you, Jesus. Uh, we wanna love you more. We wanna love you better. Would you enable us to do that? I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.